I'm Zach Embry, and this is Till We Die, a podcast about DIY music scenes and the people that make them happen. I love the energy and like the creativity to do something that's that people are like scratching their heads about. One time I hosted a Ray Stevens pancake party. I was like, I thought I knew what was going on locally, but when I really pay attention, like there's a lot more good stuff here than there kind of seemed to be on the surface. In this episode, Jeff Black and I sneak into Brian Galecki's clubhouse. Jeff drank a super chill, and we talked about 80s cartoons, how great he is the trumpet, and how important it is to curate creative spaces. Jeff is a wizard, a dad, and head of the Radon Lounge, a basement here in Springfield. What the F? Here's Jeff. Pizza's pretty good. You know, you should like start a pizza shop. I should start a pizza shop. Jeff, are you excited about doing this podcast? Yeah, I'm pretty excited. Pretty stoked. Pretty stoked. Okay. The things. All the things. Who are you, Jeff? I'm just just a guy who likes doing shows. Started doing shows and now I just can't think of not doing shows. Okay. So I'm just the kind guy I am, I guess. Let's back up a little bit. Um, what was little Jeff like? Little what were you Jeff. like as a child? So we're we going all the way back to birth or something? Well, I'd rather not hear about the birth specifically, but maybe a short time after that. The fun part of childhood. All right. Well, I guess I had a castle gray skull. Okay. I had some transformers and some He-Mans and some mask vehicles. Oh, mask. And they would all fight each other. That's good. That oh, was yeah. a pretty good time. And then I got into Ghostbusters action figures. Okay. And then after that came, of course... Obviously, Ninja Turtles. Yeah, that sounds like the correct trajectory. Um, what what did your house sound like? Were your parents listening to music, or is it mostly movies, television, no media? Well, my parents were kind of odd when it comes to music because my mom had records, but she the only records she actually played were like Christmas records, which I have now. I kind of treasure those like being Crosby's and mm-hmm. different things but my mom always played non-stop around that time um which might explain maybe why I do Christmas shows and stuff now a little bit why you're... but um other than that 
music really wasn't a priority other than the fact that everyone was supposed to be playing music. The kids, anyway. I mean, my mom and dad didn't play anything, but uh, we had a piano in the living room, and my brother, who's 12 years older than me, had to take piano lessons, and then I had to take piano lessons. So I actually played, took piano lessons for 12 years, and it was actually pretty decent. And we is just you and your older brother? Right. Okay. So when I was doing it, like I would have been the only person in the house mm-hmm. uh, doing anything musically. Sure. And then moving on to uh, like band in, in like junior high, high school, then I was kind of didn't have a choice that I was supposed to join the band and learn an instrument and do that. So I, I did play trumpet in the band. Um, I was kind of our first chair, number one, whatever you want to call it, trumpet player for like three years out of my high school years. And then actually I I continued doing that into college, even though I wasn't a music major, which kind of made it a little harder to keep it going. Because then you're like playing music with people who like practice nonstop every day. And I was like, I don't have time for that. Do you, uh, do you think high school Jeff is the best trumpet player in Springfield? High school Jeff versus all the trumpeters here? No way, because, well, I didn't grow up in Springfield. I grew up in a small town. Does best Jeff beat best, best uh, Springfield? Are you better than Brian Galecki at playing brass? instruments oh that would be we need to figure that out one of these days um but no i have no embouchure now but i i was probably the best at the time because i was probably one of the very few that were actually like trying okay like practicing and trying to be decent at what they were Mm -hmm. they were doing so when did uh when did when would you say that music like when did music become your your own? Or when when because uh, so far, you've got your mom's Christmas albums, forced to take piano lessons, forced to play trumpet. When did you develop your own tastes, or what what was that music like? Where did it come from? It's kind of interesting because there wasn't a lot to put, to draw from because there wasn't in my small town of Casey, Illinois, which is about three thousand people. And you're just surrounded by other small towns. So there's not, not enough people around, really, to, like, develop a music scene or anything. Named so after, all of that was very foreign to me. Named after the gas station, Casey's. Um, sure. I don't remember what Casey, where Casey got its name. Um, and you announce it Casey if you're from Casey, just like other towns in, Spring, in Illinois that are completely mispronounced. But, okay. Um, now Casey is known for like these, they have, there's a family that's building like the world's largest, like golf tee and rocking chair and wind chimes and all this other crazy stuff that was not going on when I was there. Or like, a, like American roadside. Yeah. It's okay. very much a tourist cool. attraction now. So if you go there now, the Casey, Casey is really transformed into that. It was not like that at all when I was a kid, but so there really wasn't a lot of lot to do, and outside of like what I was kind of forced to do, but I did appreciate it at the same time. Um, there really wasn't like much. Like I didn't get to see many live music shows. Mm-hmm. I think I probably saw the most concerts just by um, going on youth trips 
like youth group trips at church and stuff. So I got to see Carmen, for instance. That yeah. was like the earliest concert that I can remember. And then I remember like there was a Bible Man skit like mm-hmm. that opened for it. Oh, that's so, cool. So I guess there's a little bit of retrocred there of mm-hmm. actually seeing that. I don't remember anything from the concert anymore. Um, except the Bible Man? Except for the Bible Man because it was just so weird. For the, anybody that doesn't know, which I would assume is most people... Carmen was kind of this um, Christian performer. Uh, you wouldn't really call him a singer-songwriter. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but all the songs are kind of like stories or ministry, um, and they're kind of bad when you look back on it, but they're also kind of great. You should uh, look up Satan Bites the Dust music video on YouTube. That's a good one. Yeah, that's one of the earliest cassettes that I ever owned. Okay. was Addicted to Jesus. I had that song on it. Yeah. I'm, I remember uh, God, uh, God uh, We Need God in America again, uh, Lazarus. All of those are some bangers, certified um, bangers. Yeah, for sure. Um, you try to play ironically now, and then it's just, he's so serious. He's about, very serious. About what he's singing about. Yeah. And it's like... Andy had a, a hard he listen. overcame cancer recently, so I almost felt bad for making fun of him for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, now he's like this, you know, he beat cancer. He's strong, and I feel I feel a little bit bad. But there was a Carmen record. I don't know if it's still there. Yeah, I saw that on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Besides concerts, though, like what were you listening to? Did you have? You're saying Carmen was one of the first cassettes that you Carmen listened to. Carmen was the first. Cassette. Were you just too I busy mean, playing with toys to listen to music for a while? Well, and I had a Nintendo. I mean, that was like really absorbing. Mm-hmm. So if I ever had any free time, I was probably playing Nintendo or something. Okay. So I didn't really grow up with a lot of music stuff. Like one of the things that my mom really got into there for a while was Ray Stevens. Yeah, like when Ray Stevens in the '90s was pushing these like videos on mm-hmm. with their like commercials and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we actually went to Branson a few times to see Ray Stevens. Oh, that's awesome. My uh, my grandmother loved Ray Stevens. I grew up watching uh, those VHS tapes he bought off the TV. Uh, um, songs that are totally not okay now, but <laughs> were very funny back then. Well, I went to Branson with my kids. Like last summer, no, two summers ago. So it was just Charles. Mm-hmm. And I, I walked, I swear, I heard three different performances playing Mississippi Scroll Revival. Mm-hmm. That's the best song. Because it's like that place just hasn't like left that time period. No, yeah. Weird. <laughs> check out Ray Stevens, Mississippi. I don't know Scroll if you really want to check that out. Just check out that one. Uh, maybe The Streak. That's a good one. It was an early hit of his. Um, and there's like a very inspirational song about loving everyone that I can't remember right now. But other than that, you might want to stay away from some of the other songs. Yeah, that would be a good idea. I checked him out. Like, is he still around? Is he still making music? I'm not sure. And I looked him up, and it's like, oh, yes, he is. And it's not what you want to go see. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. So um, were you hanging out with other kids, or were you mostly playing? I had a few friends, um, and and we probably would play the Nintendo and stuff together. So Mm -hmm. 
because um, I kind of lived on the edge of town, so it was kind of hard for me to get out and like actually hang out with kids. Yeah. I have to be a very scheduled thing for sure. that to happen. So, so yeah, there wasn't a ton of music, but I think by playing instruments, I developed kind of an appreciation for music. Mm-hmm. I never got to play in like a real like rock and roll band or something like that. So, but there really wasn't anything like that happening in my area, so all of that was kind of foreign to me. Sure. Anyway, sure. So, from from youth, um, I assume you left your parents' house at some point. You left KZ, and mm-hmm. you went to college. Well, I never really left KZ until I was starting to pursue my master's degree. So I went to Eastern, which is about thirty minutes away. I drove all four years of Eastern, just commuting back and forth, um, getting my uh, bachelor's in computer management. Um, cause I was, by that time I was, I was definitely like a PC gaming nerd, spent a, logged a lot of hours playing games like Diablo 2 and Unreal Tournament and stuff. And that's kind of like what I was about at that time. I'd be, um, getting together with some like-minded people who put together land parties. And so I was actually part of a couple of land party clubs at the time. So that's what I did a lot of at that time. So then it wasn't until around 2004 when I graduated Eastern and then I realized like I'm not ready to like just get out on my own yet. So I wanted to get a master's degree and then for some reason I stumbled across uh, UIS and so then I moved to Springfield and lived on campus there and uh, that's where I met Kat and we got together. and that's really when I got into really into the music that I'm into now. So I had I met some people that introduced me to like like I don't know indie rock at the time. So this would have been like 2005, six or something. Like Sufjan Stevens was a big deal at the time because um, the Illinois album hadn't been out for too long, and so some of my friends were really into that and had me listen, and that's where that all started. Okay. So you were into indie rock and how, how did you go from super nerd slash casual indie rock fan to, uh, having the right on lounge, this basement venue? Um, well, before we jump to that, I should probably also mention that there was a bit of a record thing going on there too. Okay. Um, cause around that time, I forgot around the time of going to IU, besides doing the PC gaming, I also, um, there was a record store next door to the campus called Positively 4th Street Records. I believe it's still there. I don't know if they still sell vinyl or not. I haven't walked in there in a long time. But they used to have, like, all these $2 bins. And I would just pull all these records out of there because I had a record player from my mom. So I found that records were pretty neat. But this was also before the, the time when you could just go look up any band and find out everything about them on the Internet. Like Wikipedia really hadn't taken off at that point. So it was like kind of like trying to figure out music just going through the $2 bins at, at um, that record shop. For sure. So it'd be a lot of, there was a lot of like the Eagles and Aerosmith and maybe some ACDC and some other like just bands that you're used to seeing. Yeah. You're going through a bin like that. Mm-hmm. So got exposed to a lot of that music. And I think that kind of helped to broaden 
kind of like at least what I knew of music at the time, which kind of when I discovered indie when I came to UIS, mm-hmm. like I was I was definitely ready for that by then. Okay. So listening to so like some new sounds and such. Yeah. So I guess what your question was jumping off. So one of the things that I did at UIS was I um from being isolated, I guess you would you say isolated for so long. Uh, it was so nice to be able to be around like a lot of people at once because I really hadn't had that full like college experience or mm-hmm. getting out of the house experience. So I was really fortunate to just find a lot of a lot of people to hang out with, and we do weird things. Um, one time, I hosted a Ray Stevens pancake party. Back to Ray Stevens again. So we watched those videos, ironically, and then, like, I told everybody to bring their pancake toppings, and we'd make all these pancakes and stuff. So okay. sounds pretty tame, but that's that's what we had fun doing at the time. And I put together a tacky prom. So, like, we had, like, the 80s prom night with all the puffy dresses and everything. Mm-hmm. And we got a pretty good response from the campus putting by putting that on. There's a lot of people that came out for it. Mm-hmm. So that was one of, like, my early events. So you kind of just started doing events because you like to be around a lot of people because you felt like you hadn't had that yet. Yeah, I I, it was, yeah, it was really exciting just being to be able to do stuff with a lot of people all of Mm -hmm. a sudden in my life, and it was just really exciting, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I gravitated toward is like trying to pull off these big things because when you're at UIS. I mean, people that grew up around Springfield probably see UIS as its own little, like, self-sustained bubble out, mm-hmm. out on the edge of town. And that's kind of how we felt when we were going there. It was like, there's nothing here that's close by because, like, I have a car. I can go drive to different places, but a lot of my friends don't. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of stuck here. Um, so we kind of just made up our own fun. Yeah. And you think that you got... Um... Do you think that you ha- you got joy from creating those spaces versus like being the guy at the party who's like pumping everybody up? Do you think that like maybe like um, like for me, I like to do events even if like no one knew that I was involved because I like, um, you know, if you like make a bunch of food and somebody really likes that food, like there's some joy there. Um, there's like some gratification, um, in creating a space or an event that people want to be at. There's, there's some gratification there. I would say that's definitely it for me too. Um, I know when I put those events together at UIS, I always had these friends that were like extremely outgoing and like, those would be like your hype man basically for Mm -hmm. doing those kinds of events. As long as I'm not having to be out there in the front. Because mm-hmm. that's not where I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable setting up the room, like spending hours and hours to get the room ready and everything just right. Mm-hmm. And then everybody comes in, and then there's a performance or somebody there to work the crowd or something like that. Yeah. And then I'll just make sure that everything behind the scenes continues to run smoothly through the event. Like that is very gratifying for me. Yeah. And so you go from making these events, running these events, uh, Maybe you're getting a little bit of a, a name for it or people at least are showing up. People are having a good time. Chef does these weird parties. We got to go. How do you get from that to the next step of um, 
you know, doing basement venue stuff. Yeah, so there were a few bands that I was following from that time period. Like, mm-hmm. There was definitely some of the, the cr- more Christian bands, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that, like Derek Webb and Waterdeep were a couple of that were like really all about the house shows and house show tours and stuff like that. So there was a couple of them. And then because you have to because none of my friends were at all connected to punk scenes or anything like that. So that's still like a very foreign concept to me that punk scenes, mm-hmm. hardcore scenes in general actually exist and and do these DIY shows and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. those the cues I'm getting are from these kind of singer songwritery type artists that are coming going around to people's living rooms and stuff. And I thought that was a cool idea. And I actually did apply a couple of times to be like a house show venue because by the time that we bought our own house, um, it actually worked well for that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. I bought my house kind of thinking I would continue to do like my parties and things, just having people over and hospitality. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I really enjoyed doing. Of course, what I also found was I'm getting up there in my 20s now and a lot. So are all my friends and we're and they're all having babies and they're all moving away. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to continue to do things like I used to do and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, one of my friends, um, got in touch with a singer-songwriter. Her name was Sarah Swinson. And he was talking to her, and he knew what I liked to do. And he knew that I was interested in doing a living room show. Um, so he got in touch with me and was like, hey, you should do a living room show for Sarah. And I, I liked the idea. So that became my first show in 2011. Um, so we set up the living room moved all the furniture around, invited as many people as I was friends with on Facebook and all that mm-hmm. stuff. We had like maybe about 30 people turn out for it, which really isn't too bad for yeah. first show ever. I mean, it was a lot of, it was pretty much all friends of mine that mm-hmm. were still in the area that came. Did you, did you have it named at that point? No, it was just it was basically just, my living yeah, room. Yeah, your living room. And she was, uh, she was actually very experienced with doing this kind of thing. She had her own, like, powered PA gear, like, her own microphone and everything. So she was, like, a fully self-sustained unit. When she walked in, set everything up, played her set, and that was the end of the night. Um, so I was like, man, this is easy. I just have to get people here and set up the room and make sure there's, like, water to drink or something. Mm-hmm. And... uh so we did that, and then she asked if she could come back. So we did it again later in the year. And then I realized, like, I want to do this, like, for other bands and stuff. And I think it was might have been around that time when, because um, we were friends with April, um, through the stuff we were doing at college, and because um, she had also been a former UIS student, and we were kind of part of the same, like, student group that she was. So we kind of got... Um, introduced over time. And I think she introduced Luke and Matthew and you at some point around that time. So I started getting to know like maybe a few other people in town mm-hmm. that had similar ideas. So I, I thought, well, there's a lot of the, this thing could really work. So yeah, um, I'm going to start working on the basement. Okay. And it was around that time when it like I, I was like, oh, I should call it Radon Lounge because, haha, it's funny because Radon in the basement, you have to have basements inspected and all yeah. of that. Um, 
Yeah, we definitely, I, I think that we met April through Matthew's son, Jack. <laughs> I think that Jack and April became friends um, at Cornerstone Music Festival. Um, so that would have been like 2010, 11, 12, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say it was just because she was hula hooping or something. And then Jack just hung out with her. And then he, you know, once they found Matthew, they, and then we all met her and loved her and, uh, stayed connected. So we then somehow got connected with you, but we were doing shows in Lincoln and I ran a venue in Decatur for a little while, um, called Wake the Dead. And so we had some experience doing shows. What, uh, so it was, it was, it was good to meet up. Um, what? For anyone who hadn't had never been to Radon, it had a a very 1980s, uh, maybe early 90s nerd arcade vibe. It felt like, um, and it, I feel like it progressively got more that way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did. Um, but what do you think made makes made Radon unique? compared to other people's basement venues. Definitely, I'm most interested in what makes it different than like a punk basement. Because if anyone's been to a punk house, it's like a basement. Well, you know. I think the main thing that made it different is just the fact that I was not familiar at all with hardcore scenes or DIY scenes in general. Because I think, as usual, when you're setting something like that up, you're inspired by what someone else was doing so it's probably going to end up looking like that a little bit and i'm kind of just going at it without any other inspirations that i'm going off of other than i'm just wanting to set up my basement to have shows and then i also happen to have an arcade machine that mm-hmm. i was playing around with and i was trying to set that up so i was like well that would be fun to have at shows and then just trying to think of other fun things that could be going on during a show, I knew one thing I did not want to mess with was alcohol, because um, I knew that would just add more risk to my shows, and really wasn't what I was fo- like wasn't a priority for me. Um, and I wanted to make sure that my shows were all age appropriate and everything. Mm-hmm. So, and then of course I have a lot of my peers that are telling me like, "Oh my gosh, you should not be opening your house up to strangers to come in and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff." So I was like, I definitely had these circles that I was in and I was like, this is a really bad idea that you're doing. Like, you're just going to let everybody come in. Sure. And I was like, just people that care about shows are going to be coming to this thing. Yeah. Especially if I'm not serving, if it's not BYOB or anything like, yeah, people are into that are not going to be coming to my house. Mm -hmm. So taking it from a, a party to make, to, to making it a, an actual venue, like more concepts. Um, yeah, which I think listening room would probably be a good way to describe it. Yeah. Even though I didn't really know about that concept until much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? A, how How important was ambiance to you? Um, I had a few guys that were helping me set up like PA gear and stuff like that. So they had their opinions on like, we need to make sure there's a curtain here to dampen the sound and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I kind of got a, a little bit of technical help in that regard mm-hmm. um so i was always conscious of that i wanted to always make sure that my sound my sound was good at shows i didn't 
I never felt feel like I want to have like a super loud show. Although we could get loud down there, contrary to what probably some people thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to make sure it sounded good um, on top of it, more than anything. And then outside of that, I don't know. I just wanted to make something that was unique. And like, like when you go there, there's kind of like a wow factor to it. Um, so I'm always coming up with like different ideas on how to do that. And of course, I have to within my budget too at the same time, which over the years, my budget definitely grew and grew as I've been fortunately very successful in my, my day job. So that's allowed me to do more fun things in the basement over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, like the arcade definitely grew over the years. Those machines are definitely not cheap. Yeah, but so let's talk talk a little bit about um, maybe like what Radon looked like or felt like in the very beginning versus how it felt like. Well, in the very beginning, I still had like my big um, classic rock record collection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used a lot of like album covers to decorate the walls with because I thought that'd be real cool. Um, I think I didn't get the church pews until like two or three years in. Um, I would say, say looking back to the original decor, it was more like indie folk driven, maybe because I was just using just random stuff I had laying around. We had these old, old like pictures of my wife's ancestors that were given to us, and then we didn't have anywhere in the house to put them. And I was like, well, these would be funny to put up in the basement, so it'd be like this old house feel to mm-hmm. the basement. And then I found like where you get a whole bunch of coffee sacks for like free. So, or a dollar. And so I got a bunch of those. And we made a curtain out of those that we used for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, just stuff like that. For some reason, at the beginning, I felt like, well, if it's a venue, it has to have a red curtain, right? So we had a red curtain there at the beginning mm-hmm. for a while. So I um, eventually I took some pallets from my church's um, set. And that's what became the pallets with the lights in them that mm-hmm. have kind of become part of radon that you see in pictures all the time. So I was like, uh, like toward the end, I was like, I don't know if pallets are really what people used to decorate with anymore. We probably need to phase those out eventually, but mm-hmm. obviously don't need to worry about that now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then more and more arcade games. Add more and more arcades. More and more pins. Yeah, pinball is definitely the thing that I kind of went back and forth, like, am I in the arcades now or am I in the pinball now? One thing I find about, like, classic arcade games is that they just don't hold my interest. There's only so many times I can play through, like, X-Men or The Simpsons or Ninja Turtles until it just gets really boring. But pinball is kind of like something I keep coming back to every time. Mm -hmm. I've kind of really decided that pinball is kind of like my main thing I want to focus on. But I'm also still into the arcades, too. So I would say whatever future arcade I come up with is going to have a mix of both in it. Sure. But probably heavier on the pinball side of it. Yeah. And then uh, at some more recently, you started um, adding a a visual artist or a poet or um, something like that to the shows on top of the music. which I think was really interesting. So there was like three or four different things going on at the same time, kind of. And if you got antsy, you could take a lap around and play pinball or look at some art. 
Yeah, I I felt like I had to figure something out because one thing I found as far as trying to run a venue over multiple years is like at the beginning, it's like all my friends are there to support me. Of course, nobody's heard of the bands that I'm bringing in. They, and most of my friends really aren't like plugged into the local scene. So I don't really, it's really hard to develop for a lot of them to develop an appreciation for a lot of the local music that's trying to survive and such. Um, so after a while, like as my friends move on or um, kind of get tired of coming to shows all the time, because that really wasn't their thing. It was my thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just struggling to figure out, like, who's going to keep coming to these shows. I was really fortunate that there was always like a new wave of people that discovered Radon and wanted to come to every show and all of that stuff. So that mm -hmm. kind of kept it going there. But there was a pretty bleak time, like three years back or something, I remember having a show and there would be like 10 people that paid a cover to see that show. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I got to figure something out or else there's going to, it's going to be just basically bands playing to each other. And it's mm -hmm. the night. And I was like, then it kind of defeats the purpose of me trying to do this thing for the community. If the community is no longer coming out to support it. Yeah. So part of it was trying to figure that out. Like, how can I, create some new excitement around what was going on at Radon. Part of it was that I needed to change the way that I was putting together the lineups. And it's something that I think venue promoters obviously know, but I was still learning is that we have to make sure that there's enough of that local support in there. Um, Cause I was really excited about different bands that were coming from out of town and different things, but like no one else knows who those bands are. So trying to figure that out, focus more on what's going on locally. And then uh, surprisingly, the more that I focus on trying to figure out what I could put on a radon show as local support, the more local stuff I found. Because I was like, I thought I knew what was going on locally, but when I really pay attention, it's like there's a lot more good stuff here than there kind of seemed to be on the surface. Yeah, And it's hard to tell because there's so few outlets, especially at the time, Mm -hmm. that really talked about what was going on if you weren't going to the shows because it's kind of hard to when you have a kid and trying to balance work and life and mm -hmm. doing your own venue it's hard to get out to other people's shows so i was very thankful to find that there was quite a few local performers that i still hadn't booked at radon so i really have never um ran out of those performers so focusing more on that and then also bringing in the art aspect to it. So when art was kind of is important to us because my wife is a, a visual artist and she's dabbled with different mediums over the years. So it wasn't something that was completely foreign to me because she kind of helped me to figure out how can we like throw together a little gallery space without it looking like too dumb or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, I knew that like throwing up like a neutral color, which you can easily do with like a drop cloth or something. So you can, then you can focus in on the, uh, the pieces of artwork. And of course, making sure that there's enough lighting there. Cause usually the basement is pretty dark <laughs> and we were able to figure it out in the little corner of the basement. And that actually turned into a, be a pretty popular spot. Yeah. And I can't believe like some of our best local artists, that said yes to coming and showing their stuff at, in the basement. Yeah. 
Till We Die is brought to you by Joe Galena's Pizza. You might not get what you ordered, but you'll like it. Uh, I think that 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 was a really interesting part. I think that's one of the things that separated Radon from any other basement venue or or most DIY spaces um, was that like rotating um, visual art, the free coffee um, the pinball. I mean, it was, it was definitely a, you created a, a space and not just a show. It wasn't necessarily just an event. It was like, a it was a space, you know, it was a place where people come. I, uh, doing the coffee, I was right by the door so I could see everybody come in in the last year or so. Definitely. There were groups of dudes who were just coming to play pinball. <laughs> they were paying five bucks. They never left the pinball machines. They were listening to the band. Sometimes they'd like what they hear. They'd walk over for a minute and look at them. But they were just coming to hang out in the space because the space was cool. Um, and I think that's really interesting. Um, I don't know if there's another basement venue that'll that that is like Radon. I, I can't think of one that I've heard of. Um, out of all of our band friends and touring friends, the thing you hear from bands when you're outside the radon is always like, holy crap, this place is amazing. They fed us a home cooked meal. And, um, you know, there's like, there's people here and there's like the, the space is really nice. And we thought we were going to play next to a washing machine, but like, you know, and so I always think that that's really cool that the bands have a good time playing. And I always think that if the band has a good time playing, then they're going to tell other people about it. And you're going to have a better shot of getting more good bands and bigger bands. Um, what uh, what do you think the biggest struggle about doing shows at your house in your personal space is? It can be pretty rough sometimes. Um because every time we do a show, especially the way that we did shows, is that we really wanted to focus on taking care of the bands. And I was very fortunate to have people like April that helped with a lot of the hospitality end of it, like cooking the meals for the bands and um, just making sure everyone felt really at home when they came and stuff. Because I knew that, that was a key piece of it, was making sure that the bands were taken care of. And a lot of that's behind the scenes that people aren't going to know about. Um, but that's like some of the stuff that takes the most time and planning, too. Um, but because it's in my house, like I kind of have to like <clears throat> set up the whole house to be like a performance space, which is like a multi-day task of and especially for having bands staying the night. So I need to get every floor of the house. So it's like a two and a half story home with a full basement. So I basically I'm working in every level of the house, picking up things and all my kids toys. And, um, then we're like having to set up the kitchen for like a big meal and set up the dining room to, for a big meal and then set up extra beds upstairs for the bands that are staying the night. Cause I have like a stack of mattresses in my closet that I pull out just specifically for bands. So, you know, it's a lot of work. And then, if there's anything off going on around the time that's just kind of out of your control, like whether the weather's crappy or the, or like on my last show, like my wife was sick and one of my kids were sick. So I was having to take care of sick people in my house. The same time I'm trying to set up for a show, which that, that was a lot <laughs> getting ready for that last one. Yeah. And then she couldn't even see any of the show at all because she was too sick in bed the whole time. Yeah. 
What uh? What do you think? How how long did how long did Radon go? You said uh, 2011? 2011, So we did it for eight years because okay. the first official Radon show was December of 2011, and it was also a Christmas show, which is why it made so much sense for the last show to be a Christmas show. Okay. Yeah. And what what do you think in those eight years? What uh? Do you have a favorite show? Oh dang! Or do you have a best show? Are they different or are they the same? I don't like those questions because I like different shows for different reasons. Like mm. there's the shows where it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so is playing here. It's like, this is such a life achievement. What about the best attended show? Best attended show. Actually, the last show was one of our best attended shows. Mm-hmm. So we had probably close to 100 people. Yeah. At least 90 some that, that paid at the door. So then, if you include all the performers and everybody, we're definitely over 100. Yeah. Um, it hadn't been like that for, oh, I don't know, five years or so. We had our open mics used to be incredibly popular, um, mm-hmm. which it always seemed like every time I had an open mic, it would be like diminishing returns. And I don't know why. I think it had something to do with. Some of our early open mics included a lot of my my more musical friends that had since then left the community, mm-hmm. and they always had a big draw from their family and friends and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's what made those early open mics and cover nights like really full. Mm-hmm. Um, so those were some of our more popular nights. There was one in particular show I remember that was really well attended that I wasn't um, um, expecting. It was a band. It was a big deal band. It was the Strumbellas from Canada, and they mm. won like Dove Awards in Canada, and their songs appeared on during the Canadian Hockey League shows. Okay, so is it, they were definitely one of those bands where it's like, "What are you doing here? This yeah. is a basement. Did your agent not figure that out?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, I, I didn't think that this band would really have many fans though, because we had Lucios here before, and we had like. I don't know, 40 people to come see them. And I was like, come on, guys. This is like a really big deal. It's like, mm-hmm. why are we not packed out tonight? Yeah. Um, but for some reason, for Strombellas, we were. Okay. So there's there's like this whole family that came. And I was like, but well, we had tickets to go see like Avett Brothers or something like that. But, it's like, well, but we're actually bigger fans of Strombellas. So we wanted to come here. Okay. And they drove like a long distance to come see it and stuff. Hmm. But so that was like one of those standing room only shows just to see that. And that was the same day as like a big ice storm happened, like early that morning. So I was like chiseling ice off of every surface to try to like make the make a path to the basement and everything. But yeah, we were still like packed out for that night. So there's not a show when you look back, when you're laying in bed and you're thinking about your basement where you're like, man, that was that was a good show. I felt like that after a lot of my shows. Don't don't cop out. There's one that sticks out <laughs> a little bit more. I don't know about that. And, and part of the problem is like it just turned into a blur. Like is, I kind of have to like so on my website, which unfortunately is expiring soon because I didn't update the domain anymore because I'm trying to like save every dollar I can for the new project, but. Um, well, I have your domain, so I'll sell it. <laughs> but anyway, on there is like all my past shows, and it's just like you can just scroll through all of the show flyers from every show. And sometimes that's like a good way to like 
go through and remember like mm-hmm. oh yeah that show when that happened i really wish i like kept a journal of like so i could write down all my thoughts after the show it's yeah. like i can't believe this happened or this idiot did this or yep. or something a, like that the same it's the same thing with audio feed or even going to like cornerstone whenever i was a kid i went for however long i went and uh I, you know i still blur the years together like it's all like one big thing um but right on shows i i really really remember how good the soil and the sun was oh yeah that was a good and uh and how like amazing it was that there were so many people crammed into that little stage area and how pretty it sounded and um yeah i was just super stoked on that um yeah that was that was an accomplishment accomplishment for me at the time too to have the soil and the sun there think thinking back through like all the shows and bands that i've got a privilege to work with i think the soil and the sun are probably my favorite it's like their music is just so beautiful like i miss that band so much because you're not going to hear as good as it was just by listening to their recordings like no. You kind of have to be, have yeah, been at there was their a, shows. There was a magic with that band. Like, we had them, I, I got to host them twice, and one of them was at the horse show, mm-hmm. um, the festival that I tried to get going, but couldn't quite keep it going forever, I guess. But that is going to be one of my moments, too, that I'm going to remember, is just that inside the barn, it was so hot and so, like, dirty but the soil and the sun just seemed like the perfect band for that because there was some like beauty to like how organic everything felt in, yeah. in that moment and well, it and just really heightened the experience they're all really hot and really dirty <laughs> yeah they're, they're incredibly <laughs> attractive people who are hippie hippies oh yeah they look like they yeah they their look, name is very apt for that yeah, band yeah for sure um i will never forget the timbre set at the horse show and it like started storming. Yeah. And she was like playing these songs about the wind and things. And like the wind is howling outside and there's thunder. And it was like, it couldn't have been a more perfect backdrop for this, like really pretty ethereal music. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll never like, I, I couldn't forget that. Yeah, there's a really good picture that somebody took of that set, which I'm so glad that somebody did because I did not get snap one myself. But yeah, there was also because she was also playing in the barn. There was a tin roof, so you hear like these big raindrops yeah. on the tin roof. Yeah. It was like the perfect setup for her performance. Yeah, I talked to her about it um, recently because um, I booked her to play at the Levitt things, and we talked about that set a little bit. Mm. She was just really worried about like the rain coming in and like leaking on her harp and stuff like that during yeah. that set. Yeah, but, she's a little bit of a worrier. Yeah, it's an expensive instrument. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would be too. Um, so, why, why do all this? What's, what's in it for Jeff? Well, certainly not for the money. I don't know how many, like hundreds of dollars per show that I'd be paying out because I always paid guarantees to bands. And then then later years, I would pay something for the locals too, which I know for a lot of venues is really hard to do. But Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, yeah, shows don't make a lot of money to begin with. And then if you're trying to keep your venue alive, you really can't 
really be as generous as you want to be. Sure. But I didn't have, like, I never considered Radon to be, like, a real venue. Like, Radon by itself is not enough to cultivate, like, a scene around it. It's like a one-off event that happens one yeah. e- once every month, maybe, because yeah. we'll take long breaks once in a while. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted every every Radon show to be like a spectacle. And really, it goes back to what we we're talking about, like back in my party planning days at UIS. So yeah. it's like for me, it's like it's gratifying being able to put together an event that people come together and then appreciate that it's there. Um, I don't want people to come together and appreciate me for what I'm doing, but if they're into the thing that I've created, I think I, I guess you could kind of look at it as an art form. Yeah. Like I, I, that sounds very, um, I don't know. <laughs> that is, it doesn't sound great to say out loud, but it's kind of how I feel about well, it. Well, it's like, um, if interior design is an art, you know, or if, uh, interior design is like a, is a, um, a skill, you know, a talent, then uh, what, you're doing or what anyone who books shows and and does the extra stuff is doing is is essentially interior designer or um you know it's the same it's the same concept you're trying to make something like beautiful and true for a specific group of people in your case a really general group of people not a not even like a you know it's not a punk house it's not a it's not a hardcore club it's not a whatever it's like you have new people in the door every time you have shows and uh those people are comfortable you know you can have a radon would have a seven-year-old and a 70-year-old at the same show often you know and i always thought that was pretty cool so what's in it you just you just love that gratification you uh, you still you just can't get over hosting events that's what it is well, and making sure that events like that are happening. Happening. Because I'm, I'm real worried, like, with Springfield that, like, I don't think I'm the only person that can make it happen. There's obviously other people that are doing it, too. Mm-hmm. But there's not really a lot happening, basically. Yeah. I think when you look for it, there is plenty out there. But a lot of, of course, we always talk about how people think there's nothing happening when mm-hmm. if they would seek it out they could probably find something that would be really cool yeah but i think one of the things that also inspired me was south by southwest yeah and just being surrounded when you're walking down the street of south by southwest surrounded by all these venues happening at the same time Mm -hmm. i was like i just never felt so alive walking through a place that felt like there was so much happening all at once yeah and so trying to recreate some of that experience too is really fun for me yeah so uh, let's do let's do some fast questions. You're just, you're gonna answer, uh, you know, first thing that comes in your head as quick as you can, which, oh is, which is always what you're good at being real fast. <laughs> um, what is the best arcade game? Joust. And the best pinball game? Oof, Medieval Madness. What's your favorite pinball game? Medieval Madness. All right. Uh, who's a dream band for you to book? Oof. Uh could book anybody dang i don't know how to answer that one a pass <laughs> no pass there's i mean there's probably a ton right you just pick one yeah but there, that happens on so many different levels like what kind of a show am i going for or if you could, what, what's if you, my budget for this show if you had an endless budget and a real big venue 
or a small venue, if you had an endless budget, they're going to play no matter where. Who are you looking This is like, what is your favorite band? And I hate that question. It's not what is your favorite band. It's who, like, who would you love to curate a space for? <sighs> yeah, I'm real uncomfortable with this one. I mean, I could ask a more personal question. All right, well, ask me some different questions. How much chest hair do you have? A decent amount. Decent. All right. Um, who has the best coffee in town? Uh, well, let's see. There's Custom Cup and William Vans and mm-hmm. Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And Great local uh, coffee shop, Starbucks. Yeah. There's that there's a newish one that's over at the Hilton. Like since they lost their Starbucks franchise. Oh yeah. yeah. Check that one out. I think they do a lot of blended drinks there. Okay. Or flavored coffee. Yeah, coffee flavors pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose I'll have to probably go with the foamed up. That's probably one I foamed up in the the White Oaks Mall. In the mall. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good spot. Heard good things. Um do they have other coffee shops at the mall? I need to probably check those out. There's a um uh Gior- Georgina Giordana? No, that's no, not uh, George I think it's Georgia Gleans. Georgia Gleans? Glory and Glory and Gleans? I can't remember. Okay. Um Who's the best area band? Oh, area band. So not just local, we're talking area, central you know, Illinois. Sure. I feel like you're still going to lean towards Springfield. Um, Obviously. I mean, there's some great there's some great bands ones. outside of Springfield, too. But if I was looking at Springfield, uh, there's three that immediately come to mind. First one. Um, Looming. Second one. Um, oof, that's kind of tough. Let's say it's a tie between Kate the Band and Bottom Bracket. Yeah. And? And? Those are your three? Yeah, you know, you know you... there's that one band like Star Stuff. I need to listen to them a few more times. Star Stuff's good. What about um, what band do you wish was still together, area or otherwise? Well, obviously, I was saying earlier, the Soil and the Sun was one of my favorite bands to ever work mm-hmm. with, and one of my favorite bands. Period. So, plug my next show when Turtle Doves come. Yeah, play. Turtle Doves. Maybe this will be out by then. It should be out by then, but Turtle Doves uh, playing with Slow Mass, uh, a Mother Leopard reunion show for anyone who remembers that band. Yeah, that's, I can't uh, believe that that's happening. But... That's uh, uh, Benny DeWitt from Good Heart Tattoos and Renee, Jess Knight from Looming, and Kate the Band, and uh, tons of other bands. Yeah, every uh, every other band. And. Christian Kyle Radcliffe mm-hmm. from uh, all, all the other bands. Yep. Um, so that show will be good. Oh, Kirk Donnelly's also yeah, playing. Kirk Donnelly's opening. Uh, and I don't know the date, but. It's January 19th, Sunday night, but it's also, might be a three-day weekend for a lot of folks. So. Ten bucks. Seven bucks. Seven bucks. What a deal. All right. Um. Well, I, w- I was going to play Save or Kill, but I feel like you're not going to participate. Um, <laughs> so uh, I was going to say Save or Kill, Bottom Bracket, or Kate the Band. <laughs> what? Well, you know you know that I like to make you squirm, and uh, if any of these people ever listen to this, I, I think that's so much fun. 
One of them's got to go, Jeff. Uh, I, I can't. I can't. All right, living. It's like if one of them's on one end of the pool and the other one's on the other end, I guess I'm just going to... They're, they're both going to die out of my indecision. Uh, living thing or Star-Lord? That's a pretty good one. Um, I did catch Star-Lord a couple of times. They played a horse show, too. Mm -hmm. I don't think Living Thing ever played any of my shows. I might not have invited them to play any of my shows. Okay. I appreciated. I appreciate both of their uniforms, for sure. Yeah. But I did actually book Star-Lord for a show, and I did not book Living Thing, so I think that makes my decision. Okay. Uh, Mumford & Sons or the Lumineers? I think that's probably going to be the Lumineers at this point. You're going to kill them or save them? I'm going to save Lumineers, because if he would have asked me, like, I don't know, 2008 or so, mm -hmm. like, or maybe it was 2009, because Spotify told me that Mumford and Sons was my favorite band for the decade, Okay, which I probably did listen to a lot of it. It was just side note, it was like, so... Brian got a Monsters and Men album in the record store. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I used to love this record. And I listened to it and I was like, this is just like a co-ed Mumford and Sons. Mm -hmm. And I don't really dig this anymore. Yeah, I've been around punk and hardcore shows too much now. I, I become more punk as I grow older, which seems to be, I don't know, something unique maybe. Uh, maybe. Uh, LaCroix or coffee? One's got to go. What? Why are you doing this to me? Well, because I think that the people like it when you squirm. Um, well, I think I have, like, coffee is more of a necessity. Like, I have to drink it in order to survive. Okay. So I guess I'm going to have to save the coffee. I, I agree. All right. Um, I think that uh, I was going to ask you in the rapid fire, but I didn't what your favorite album of 2019 was since we're uh, coming to an end. If you had a, a top record or something that you listened to a heck of a lot. Oh, I need to think about that. You haven't thought about it yet? I, I know I need to like create my list and I'll just throw a name out there. Uh, you know, what have you been listening to? I've been, There's been so many good ones. Did that, uh, did that Super Organism record come out this year? Was that last year? I think that was last year. When that record, when I discovered it late too, so. Same. I discovered it after you. Yeah. That record was like a record that hit me harder than any record in a long time. But um, it's just, I don't know. It just pressed all the right buttons for me somehow, which it's so, so different <clears throat> than most of the stuff I listen to. Yeah. But this year I definitely liked, like the Better Oblivion Community Center, the... Sharon Van Etten, the, um, I need to spend more time with the Big Thief albums, but I do know I like the big hit, not from the new album that they came out with. The UFOF? Yes. Albums. Yeah. No, no, that's the Two Hands album, I believe. Yeah, but which one did you like the hit from? The Two Hands one, because oh. I think not came in the second. Oh, okay. I think I like the single from the UFOF album more than I like the Two Hands single. Hmm. But I can't really remember. They kind of bleed together. They do. Okay. Well, we've talked a little bit about it. We've hinted at it. And um, talking about why Radon stopped. Because Radon is Radon is Ray dead. Um, Radon is over. And, um, yeah, let's talk about 
what that decision was, what it looks like for Jeff and that community moving forward. Um, what are you doing right, you know, right now? So we had our last show earlier this month. We're still in December right now, but um, so earlier this month we had the last show. When I booked that show, I didn't realize it was going to be the last show. Just things kind of happen rather fast. And uh, I don't know, I just really felt it was the right timing all of a sudden um, to uh, stop doing radon. Because I was thinking in three to four years, I was going to set myself up to open up my own space, which I was dreaming at the time it would be like an arcade venue. And the arcade venue would be open like maybe once a week on a Saturday or something. So the arcade would open during the day and then you could go to the show in the evening. And I would need to get a lot of help because I probably don't have that kind of time to do it every Saturday. Going from once a month shows to weekly shows was gonna be a big deal for me. Um, so I was probably going to need like a whole crew of people that helps to support it and book and promote shows and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I'll probably have the finance end of it figured out, but it's the time part that's going to kill me. Um, cause I still need to keep my day job. Um, cause this thing isn't going to make enough money, um, to support me and my family and itself. It's probably just be like radon shows where it just takes money to keep it going. And I've always appreciated um, what other people have been doing in the scene between Dumb Records and Black Sheep Cafe and other stuff. And it's like, I know I'm not the only guy that has this mindset that wants to make sure that DIY shows are happening, um, trying to bring something new and different to the community and such. Um, so it just occurred to me, like, instead of doing this thing a few years out, maybe the timing is now that I should just join up with who's already doing something in a more like public space, mm -hmm. which Dumb Records is obviously like a perfect fit for that. So I walked into Dumb Records and I was like, so Brian, what do you think about like uh, throwing away half the records and like having pinball machines on this wall and just can have your record bins on this other wall? And I don't think he was too into that idea, but... I didn't figure he would be. So we kind of talked about it from there. And I think we've, we've got some pretty good ideas on what we could accomplish. You did the old, uh, Mom, can I borrow $100? <laughs> no, can I borrow $10? You did that. That old trick. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it wasn't necessarily, but it was just kind of like, I really want to like use my time and energy and everything that I have to try to make dumb records even better than it is now, which is already like the most consistently interesting spot mm -hmm. in town as far as I'm concerned. Because mm -hmm. one of one of my things is where I am located is where I want to like root out and do something for the community there. Mm -hmm. And I've decided that it's, it has to do with music shows and hopefully an arcade. Yeah. And why why is it important to you that these spaces stay? Like I think a lot of people would just be like, oh. I mean if if it doesn't if it can't be good, then who cares? Like, you know, it's any other business. Why do you think that that dumb records or even, you know, the, the spirit of the radon, the ideas of the radon. Why is this important? 
I don't know if I've ever been able to completely answer that for myself yet. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the fact that I have not resolved that in my own mind might be part of the journey for me. Yeah. It's trying to figure this whole thing out. Um, it's kind of the same idea of like, like people on the street telling you that you need to get saved. Like you need to make a decision for Jesus and all of that. But mm-hmm. it's like, all right, so I'll do that. Now what? And yeah. I was like, all right, I guess everything's fine. I don't, I don't sure. know what happens after that. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, I want to keep something interesting going. I want to just make one decent show and then say, yep, I did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I want something that stays around consistently. And what I've seen with Radon, like since I kept it going for eight years somehow, like I was able to see like, different like generations almost Mm -hmm. like because a lot of times it's like kids that get together and form bands and then they graduate high school or college and move on and do other things Mm -hmm. like i've seen that happen like a few times now and it's just fun for me to like what would those people have been doing if this space had not existed or like is everybody just going to be like i was when i was growing up and not knowing that there was anything better I could be doing with my time than just sitting at home playing video games or something. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I look back on some of those times and I was like, I was, there's so much more I could have been doing back then than doing just that by myself. It's like, I feel like I missed out on a lot. So I want to make sure that there's a space where people can get together and like be part of. I guess maybe something a little bit bigger, but I'm not going to be like that grandiose about it. But just just something interesting sure. to, to keep investing into. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is it about? What is it about the Dumb Records kids, guys, men, women, people? I, I've always really appreciated like the creativity that's gone on between the elephant and the different antics that have gone on like back. Like I know... I'm assuming Brian was probably behind that bounce house show that happened mm-hmm. at Black Sheep. And it was like, it's those crazy ideas that... Tubs of spaghetti. Tubs, yes. Um, yeah, I remember, like, back of the soap scum sets and, like, telling people about how people are throwing trash on the stage and Brian's eating it and throwing it back at people. And then and then the next time, Brian came on stage with all this trash duct taped to himself and was throwing it to people in the crowd. It's like, I love those kinds of antics. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the kind of stuff I want to like, I mean, I might not be going and doing tunnel shows and stuff like that, but I I love the energy and like the creativity to do something that's, that people are like scratching their heads about. Right. But at the same time are just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, I think that's one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is to, you know, somewhat catalog those events and those uh those things because um you know one day like my kid is going to be old and or older or a teenager and you know maybe he'll go to punk shows and i want him to hear the legend of brian galecki or the you know miles fowler or benny or whoever you know uh yeah, I think that that's uh, I I remember going to Black Sheep and being like hearing stories of, you know, the years before. So I think that those are important. I also think it's important for, you know, just these 
kind of small um, rural towns to have creative hubs because just because like these kids are born in uh you know these areas doesn't mean that they're not creatives and outlets for them to be creative is definitely necessary so um and not always like uh, not always like looked at or celebrated you know it's much more in these i feel like it's much more celebrated to be an athlete or um you know go to a good school or something than it is to like be in a cool punk band well, that's and, why uh, that's why we have we're scratching together resources just to make stuff like this happen yeah like, yeah yeah because yeah there's not like it's not something that's so ingrained in our societies that you have these big sponsors or these big booster clubs or something like yeah. that that's making this stuff happen it's because this no. half only happens because there's some individuals out there that are so passionate about it mm -hmm. that they're doing putting all of their time and resources into making it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, it's not, it's not a, um, nobody's, nobody's making tons of money on this. Nobody's making any money on this. No. Uh, you know, no way. Um, it's like, I have to keep my job going, which is going to limit the amount of time and energy I can put into doing this. Yeah. But if I can but do this alongside the time and resources other that people, you were donating or, you know, using for radon, you've now decided to put towards dumb. Right. And so you guys have partnered together. Um, and are helping each other with that, which is really cool. It's a really cool thing for Springfield. I think a lot of us are missing the Raiden Lounge or will miss the Raiden Lounge because it was kind of a our place, you know, um, our scene maybe more so than this other thing. But I think that the merge will, the, the potential merger, the potential overflow is really interesting. I think it's going to do really cool things for the um, art community, though. The yeah. DIY community. Yeah, I feel like there's enough compatibility between my ideas going into Radon and the ideas that are going into Dumb that I'm sure Dumb's going to look a little bit different in the coming year as we start working on some of the projects that we're talking about. But I don't think really my ideas on doing shows are that different than what Dumb shows are today. No. It's just Dumb shows have no budget, just like... Like Radon might have had barely a budget to go with. Mm -hmm. So if we pull our resources together, I think we're going to create something that's going to be pretty cool. And people probably aren't going to be missing Radon much. Yeah. At least that's my goal is that people will not miss Radon anymore. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good goal to have. Well, do you have anything that you want to talk about? Do you have anything to pitch? Besides your show? Well, I do have that show coming up. We still have plenty of other shows coming up in January because mm. really it's not just about my shows anymore. It's true. We have, yeah. We have, we have like, there's five of us that are promoting and booking shows in the space. Actively. Actively right now. And it's not just the five of us. There's other, also mm. definitely other people can step in and do it. Um, we just asked for a deposit. Um, there just needs to be some money for renting the space. And then, yeah, we're pretty open to the possibilities there, which is also what I like about it. It's like other like-minded individuals in town don't necessarily have to be on the team. They can still do their events here too. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And of course, uh, we're always getting some interesting stuff in the store now. Um, like Carmen the, Records. The dumb record store, yeah. Uh, maybe Racine's Records. Yeah, I need to see if there's any Racine's um, in the inventory now that we talk about it. Yeah. Probably not, though. But, yeah, I I look forward to... like I think it's just so interesting being part of... Like behind the counter of of a record store, I think that's a really cool spot that I've never experienced before. So yeah, I'll get a few. I'll log a few other hours behind the counter for sure. Um, but you probably won't see me there that often, just because of my time limitations. But I'm definitely here to try to make um, the venue as good as it can be. It's still probably going to feel a bit DIY in here, which I am fine with. Like mm. I don't want to really be in charge of like a big full on production space and all that. Yeah. Um, that seems like a lot more headache than what mm-hmm. I can deal with. I love the intimacy of like the DIY spaces and stuff and mm-hmm. I don't want to lose that um, here. And then hopefully we'll figure out how to pull over some pinball machines and have fun with that too over time. Yeah. That'd be good. All right, well. That's it, that's it. This episode of Till We Die was brought to you by Barista Boys. The intro and outro music is by Brandon Carnes. The song you heard at the beginning was Tilt by Hushpad. This podcast was edited by me and Luke Welchel of Nico Club. Big thanks to Jeff for bringing the raid on to Springfield, to Brian Galecki for not kicking us out of your clubhouse, my wife, and Sonny Sandoval. Thanks for listening. for coming to my uh pin pal station <laughs> uh, and where are uh, we at right now we are in brian galecki's secret clubhouse <laughs> uh the location is super secret so yeah i didn't want to mention it um but yeah yeah, we we definitely can't let that out. No, we can't tell anybody. I mean, I'm glad we didn't. Uh, I'm glad you know we didn't record this part. So, um, yeah, because I don't want anybody to tell Brian.